0: By combining the
1: government, it is both a rational exercise as well as a political exercise. So the combination of both without it being exclusively a rational exercise or without it being exclusively a political exercise. But at the same time it did recognize that varies. the the combination of this rational and political component in the public policy making varies from one policy to that of the other. So
0: the combination of this
1: in terms of the the weightage of the component of that of the rational or that of the political it varies from one policy to that of the other. But what is the generalised prescription of this model? That as far as the policy making is the government is concerned, or the government policy making is concerned, is an exercise that is in combination of rational model and political model, but it is an exercise that comp- combines the rational uh, calculation as well as the political calculation But as far as the weights of the component, weights of the component, what how many components it is identified? Two, rational. and political, I will not elaborate this rational aspect of the political aspect already have, not dealt with it. But he compo- the weightage of the component, in some of the political public policy, maybe the rational component might be more. In some other, which component might be more? Political. The political component might be more. But it will not be exclusively rational, or it is not exclusively political. For example,
0: if you take into account
1: GST, in that, do you think it's entirely a rational calculation? It's only the rational calculation that drove uh, the government to formulate this. That's also a political calculation in order. Had it been to be completely, let's say, contrary to the, the interest of the government, or at the same time, had it been completely rational calculation, then that wide, the elaborate deliberation would not have taken place. But if you take into account this particular policy, in that, the rational component maybe would be slightly more than that of the political component. But at the same time, many would say, I am not emphasizing, many would say maybe the demonetization policy in that political component would not would, would be more, don't write this aspect. Because this is but, uh, simply to make you understand, I am referring. Please don't take up uh, this as a note or uh, write it in exam. You, you should always avoid something that is actually debatable or controversial. Simply for your understanding, because this model is saying it is a combination of two, where the component varies, the, compo- the component of this model varies in terms of their respective weights from one policy to that of the In some of the policy, the political calculation, the political component might predominate, the rational component might be less. In some, the rational component might be more and the political component might be less. But generally, as far as the government is concerned, the policy making is an exercise that involves one, the rational deliberation, the consideration of the technical feasibility, the scientific aspect, the information, the logical correlation between the means that is pursued and the goal that is aimed. But at the same time, it is also exercise that takes into account the idea of consensus, negotiation, dialogue, or the political feasibility, the political advantage. Number of these things are also taken into consideration. So the policy making in the government is not exclusively a rational exercise, nor exclusively a political exercise, a combination of two. Though the component that is involved in this might vary from one policy to that of the other. Isn't this model more closely explains the manner in which the policy is formulated? Yes. But see another model that possibly could be even more relevant to explain the policy formulation in the context of the government is the Alliances model. K N I S O N si addition addition in fact uh, was of the opinion that the policy making in government is uh, complex. Yet
0: yeah, the policy making in the government is complex. Multiple factors are important. And it cannot be explained through any one model or any one single model.
1: Something that was. Uh, very much uh, the basis of the base model so Alesha similarly also says that the policy making in the government is a very complex process very complicated process multiple factors are involved the policy making in the context of the government cannot be explained through a single model so no single model can fully explain in fact he believes That the policy making in the government is a combination of rational,
0: incremental, behavioral, and political. Values.
1: So, the policy making in the government is an exercise that combines rational component, incremental component, behavioral component, as well as political component. In order to explain the policy making, He has divided his model into three sub-models. So he has explained policy making under three sub-models, those being Second, organizational process model. And third, So he has explained the policy making with the help of three sub-models. So Alishan's model is divided into three sub-models. Rational actor model, organizational process model and bureaucratic politics model. Now the first, rational actor model. What would be this?
0: I think name itself suggests. What is this? I think
1: the, the name itself is suggesting
0: that as far as the policy
1: making the government is concerned so while making policy there is scientific, technical and efficiency considerations what is this policy? what is that it creates at? whether it will be able to attain that goal or not Basis to this? What are the technical tools and techniques that should be employed? What is scientific technical feasibility? Whether this is a policy that is being formulated and the goal that is aimed at
0: can be logically correlated
1: or not? Whether this particular approach that is proposed or being considered is efficient or not? So the, the, in the government, the public policy making or the policy formulation is also an exercise in rationality. It is also an exercise in rationality. So moment you are thinking of a particular policy relating to let's say profit, relating to fighting poverty, or with regard to let's say sanitation or criminal justice system. So it did uh, involve a rational exercise, that means a thorough understanding, development of data and information, consideration of these information, utilization of this information, trying to find out the goal, the manner in which the goal to be attained, the feasibility of the strategy that is employed. So that's what is being referred to as rational exercise. So in government, the public policy formulation, unlike, like, let's say, the political like the model, what does the political model say? That as far as the government is concerned, the policy formulation is not a rational exercise. That is merely an exercise in bargaining, negotiation, compromise, dialogue. But see, the addition says, no, the rational model as it explains, there is a place in the government policy making there is an actual, I say this whether the government GUMM based model or addition. So these kids have developed this model based on their empirical studies. Empirical means? observations. They are actually trying to find out, study, observe the manner in which the policies are formulated. So here, addition based on the study found out yes, as far as the government policy making is concerned, the public policy formulation is concerned, that these rational exercise. So that means, scientifically, technically, it is considered. Efficiency considerations are very much there. But having said so, Alicia, Alicia doesn't stop at that. He's introducing other model. Like you say the second model that the organization process. before I explain these models let me refer to certain things certain let's say policy uh, policy proposal let's say and uh, try to understand by considering that pro- policy proposal hypothetically in the in the framework of policy making then we will come back and take up this one. for example Let's say, we are proposing to formulate a policy with regard to the sports, new sports policy. See, so as far as this new sports policy is concerned, additions will say, is it first of all, that would be a rational exercise, that would be a rational exercise. So the committee or for that matter, the ministry or the sports group, which is engaged in the finalization of this particular policy first of all it, will, it is going to take note of what is that we are aiming at okay, we are aiming at earning, let's say by this Olympics this number of medals so to try to find out okay, in, in order to get this number of medals, what are the discipline available, sports disciplines available in the Olympics, and what, what is that in which we can do what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What is the natural talent available? What is our training infrastructural okay, basis that is available? So it is going to look into this particular issue from a very scientific, technical, and otherwise what we are referring to as efficiency point of view. But at the same time, say once this is actually taken up from a very detailed, rational, scientific point of view. But this is not going to be the basis for policy formulation at the main the analysis. Why? Because even if let's say a committee or for that matter let's say the TIO or for that matter let's say any let's say, specialized body takes into account this policy proposal from a very scientific technical perspective, but ultimately it is to be formulated by the ministry, cabinet is going to be there, a particular ministry is going to be there. Some of the institutions, like let's sports federations, are going to be there. The finance ministry is going to be involved because of the financial angle and all this thing. So, in this particular context, if you try to take note of, since these institutions or bodies over the period of time, they have developed something what otherwise we can refer to as standard operating procedure a type of work culture, a type of thought process. Type of understanding. So if you take it up of finance ministry, over the period of time, the finance ministry has developed an approach relating to the approval uh, of the finances, consideration of financial proposals, all these things. The sports ministry for over a period of time, for a longer period of time, they have developed a particular attitude, a particular type of standard operating procedure, a standard set of value system. Where the sports federation, similarly, they have their own orientation, they have their own. So moment places, this proposal go to the ministry, sports ministry, finance ministry, to the sports federations, and the cabinet. See, each of these institutions are also going to have their impact. Because they are going to infuse their own value, own preferences. And see, these institutions individually and collectively, they have their own clientele. The sports ministry has its own clientele, the finance ministry has its own clientele, they have their own value system, they have their own way of making decisions. All these are going to impact on what? That very sports policy that is being considered. But this is not the only thing that is going to be influencing population, and that is will say. Because, see, in the sports ministry, the sports minister the sports ministry have a type of functioning, have a standard operating procedure, have a type of work culture that has developed over the period of time. But at the same time, some important positions within this, the sports secretary, the sports minister, or let's say the principal secretary of the private secretary to that of the minister, who the, the are going to be more influential or let's say finance minister, sports federation presidents or office bearers. If you take into account these institutions, not only these institutions, their work culture, their practices, their priorities are going to appear on this policy but at the same time, individuals in this, they have their own biases, choices, preferences, liking, disliking and they are going to also bring in that the minister is going to bring in, let's say an Olympian who is a minister will have a different type of outlook than that of another individual who has never play so the sports. So that individual itself is going to bring in what? Certain type of input. An individual officer who belongs to Indian administrative service might have a typical behavior from that of another officer belonging to another service or sports federation individual presidents those who have been occupying their offices office from any time in memory will have their own input into the proposal than that of others. So basically, if you take into account the proposal one, that particular sports proposal that is the proposal of sports that is considered for policy making first as a national exercise. Because Technical feasibility, scientific feasibility, the, the logical outline that is considered. But at the same time, the various institutions, agencies, offices, their, let's say, choices, their preferences, their work culture, their value system also influence other than individuals. Individuals, in terms of, let's say, the ministers, secretaries, or the Sports Federation office players, all these also are going to influence. And influence in what way? They are going to engage also in bargaining, negotiation. And apart from this, the, the, the public media, the sports journalists, sports no there is the famous sports personalities, all these are also going to influence. And that will involve something bargaining, negotiation, compromise. And finally, when the policy is formulated, it is not formulated exactly as scientifically it was. Rather, what is also included? The input, the influences by the various agencies and institutions, along with the bargaining process that was that involved number of these influential entities and the dialogue, the big big discussion that took place among them. So the combination of all this is going to ultimately provide for the basis of the policy that is formulated or the policy formulated based on or uh, 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 not based on the policy formulated uh, 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 through a process that involves all this rational, incremental, behavioral, political. That is what he has divided into these three models. Rational actor model the organizational process model and the bureaucratic politics. By the organizational process model, we refer that the policy proposal is also going to be influenced by various agencies and institutions.
0: Now, various agencies and institutions. Concerned with the policy proposal, their standard operating procedure, work culture,
1: See, by bureaucratic politics model, he refers to the role of uh, prominent individuals, prominent and influential individuals. What okay. We can say that the emphasizes that uh, the policy making is a combination of all these processes. The governmental policy is formulated uh, through this very complex process. So, this is one of the most acceptable or widely agreed model to explain the, 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 the policy formulation in the context of government. So these are the various models and the other models already we have dealt with while considering the decision making. But see, uh, one more aspect is considered with regard to the the policy making, that is the actors involved in policy making. Actors involved in policy making.
0: actors?
1: The first is legislator. Legislature. In our case, parliament. Next, let's say, executive. In our case, the cabinet and the political executives, or ministers. Third, Judiciary
0: Fourth Bureaucracy
1: Fifth Hence for some specific important institutions Like let's say Niki Aayog.
0: Prime Minister's Office, Cabinet Secretariat, Independent and Autonomous Institutions, including Regulatory Bodies.
1: international and foreign government each of this you need to elaborate, each of this in different ways you have already studied. But in brief let me elaborate don't right here. Like it's a legislature. I think the principal institution to make laws or to make policies. The legislature, the legislature is that wing of the government that is engaged in policy formulation. Or law making. So, legislature. Through number of processes, like, like, like let's say. See, see in the entire process you must be aware, otherwise in authority. Like let's say, how does the legislature makes laws or policies? Any member of the legislature can introduce a bill? Yes. And the bill introduced might be a private bill or a private member bill or a government member bill Government member bill basically refers to a bill introduced by Minister Member of the council of ministers So not even the ruling party Member of the council of ministers Any bill introduced other than the member of council of ministers is referred to as a private member bill So bill could be introduced by any member of the legislature by being a government member or for that matter by being a private member But see, as per your questions requirement, you can actually deal there. That's why only the overall framework is given because public policy is such a topic that covers almost the entire syllabus. That is why, in many of the cases, the course is named not as public administration. In many cases, the course is named as public policy or in some cases, public affairs. So, here I am giving a broad outline. Like, let's say. If you take it account the government member bill or the private member bill,
0: the process for considering this bill and taking of this bill for the consideration of
1: the formulation is the same whether it is a government member bill or the private member bill. But in general, usually a bill that is introduced in the form of the government member bill has a higher likelihood it becoming a law or becoming a policy. A bill that is introduced by a private member, there is a very less likelihood of it becoming a law or a policy. In, in fact, in the context of India, if you take into account statistics, how many private member bill has been, has become a law or policy in the last, uh, let's say, Lok Sabha or the current Lok Sabha, you can say. It's going to be the last. Current Lok Sabha. How many private member bill? Eh? And if any private member bill finally add to Marana. Zero? Sure. How many were
0: introduced? <laughs> it will be interesting to learn almost in a, almost
1: every year, slightly more than 400 bills are introduced. And in the last of, the ongoing books of, law, none were considered. Leave about no, becoming an act, and if you take into account right from the beginning till today, how many private member bill have become act 14? 14, 14. So that is simply highlighting, and again, only those private member bills becomes a law that, is, that gets the support of the government. So, virtually, the, law for, the, the power of the legislature to make law is the power of the Council of Ministers in a parliamentary system. That's why, basically, theoretically, in parliamentary system, and that in Indian context, where the party structure is centralized. Technically, it is the legislature that has to control the government, but practically, it is the government that controls the legislature. So basically, this aspect we have to take up the role of the legislature in. Yes, policy making. Similarly, the executive, the government. So who formulates the law? In parliamentary system, it is in fact the government that formulates the law. There's a famous saying of the one of the former prime ministers of New Zealand. And his statement is symbolic of the power of the executive in a parliamentary system as far as the lawmaking is concerned is simply saying something that comes to our mind while sitting in the morning towards the afternoon becomes a law so this statement is in fact is uh, a, 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 a classically explaining the power of what the executive in making law so technically this power belongs to whom? the legislature because in Indian context that is the same that the members of the Indian legislature they are not members rather mere members of the government so they are not the members of the legislature rather they are mere members of the, the government so that signifies the power of what the executive and that signifies the helplessness and the weakness of the legislature but why explain? I, I do not don't write because these are such topics. Each of this topic will consume one single class. So only the broad outline and beginning. The separately you will be studying this aspect. <coughs> do not write. This is not write. There are such now. Only thing you can highlight that how recently in the era of coalition in Indian context, the legislature has gained some spine, some muscle. So there is many times, because of the breaking down of collective responsibility within the, uh, the Council of Ministers, because of the party configuration where the members are more loyal to their party rather than to the government. So many times what happens? On certain bills, there is a difference of opinion within the Council of Ministers. So in that case, legislature getting some strength, because of which there have been a number of instances where the government introduced a bill but has to withdraw. Get it back. And also in the era coalition where the Rajasama, the second chamber, on many accounts is not playing the role of a secondary chamber. Legislature gaining muscle, no strength. So number of these things you can highlight. Like. Though the primary outline will be legislature is technically meant for policy making, but the power actually lies with the executive. But there are certain changes in the area of coalition. Certain not changes, certain terms, tests are there. And this you can develop through some examples, cases. There are a number of cases and examples are there to get easily uh, if you actually you know, in this context you take up some exercise, just simply the role of sorry the role of legislature in lawmaking in um, on internet, number of articles now will be there. You please a few of them. And especially, also you take note of the, the role of legislature, especially the Sabha, because of which the government is not able to get certain laws you know, enacted or has to significantly modify it. A few of these examples and cases. And what will be the role of judiciary? Is the judiciary engaged in law making? Is judiciary engaged in law making? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. See, again, briefly, broadly, let me refer. This part, slightly, have to take up some effort. See, as far as the judiciary is concerned, it is that branch of the state engaged in the interpretation of the law and adjudication of litigations. But traditionally, In the modern democracies, irrespective of it being parliamentary or presidential, plays an important role in lawmaking. Why? Because the mere presence of the judiciary makes the legislature and the executive operate within the constitutional domain. So, legislature is always aware of what? Moment I make a law, that law may not be actually within my competence. So moment it is outside my competence, that is judiciary, is going to declare something called ultra-vires outside the competence. So I have to maintain the law as intra-vires within the competence. So the very process of judiciary influences the legislature
0: and legislative business and the executive
1: role in law making. So, they are very much happier. it's going to be struck down. Not only this. In certain system, especially under the common law system or the common law system of jurisprudence. See, in these countries the judiciary's role is very significant in lawmaking. Because under this system the judiciary enjoys lot of discretion in the interpretation of the law and because of that the judiciary formulates laws by exercising this discretion and more so the role of the judiciary in making law is very high in those countries of the common law system where the tenure of the judges are less Where the tenure is less? Media. In countries like (laughs) media. Because if you take into account, let's say US, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the tenure is more. And here the tenure is less. Why the tenure influences the this particular aspect? Because moment, let's say, for example, in the context of US, these judges are appointed by who? Executive. And many times there is some sort of biasness while appointing, like recently like in the US also there was some controversy. But irrespective of that, the process is such that things are balanced out. But the
0: judges enjoy a very
1: long tenure. So since they enjoy, enjoy a very long tenure, so no president even having two tenure can have all the judges of his own. Always it is going to the majority of judges which have been appointed by other districts. And in those are uh, uh, what to say, judiciary, the constitutional cases or important cases are decided by something what is a full bench. But the same is not the case if you take into account countries like India where the tenure uh, of the judges are less. And the many of the critical constitutional decisions are made by benches, those are not full benches, but minority benches. Let's talk about three bench, five bench, seven bench, where well, the strength is much higher. And on the common law system, who there is a lot of discretion. And in Indian context, the judges have acquired for them a lot of discretion and all the more in the backdrop of judicial activism. So because of an era of judicial activism, and all the more in a system that is common law system, the judges enjoy a lot of discretion. And they not linear. Therefore, it's a limited period of time. And uh, at the same time, the benches are sit, that the benches are actually not full bench. So that means what? The opinion vary from one bench to that of thing. Other So this results in what? Variation. Variation, opinion, and consideration. So, in that particular context, if you take into account the judiciary, not merely the judiciary plays its role as a lawmaking by its presence and its power of judicial review. It also plays a very important role in lawmaking by virtue of the discretionary exercises in the interpretation of the law and all the more in Indian context with the power it has acquired for itself through. A proactive exercise of power of judicial review that has been famously and elaborately referred to as judicial activism. So, because of this, the lawmaking power of judiciary is also there. Like, let's say, in Indian context, it is referred to as judicial legislation. And maybe the first of its kind was in the form of the Bissakha guidelines and subsequently that have been number, number of such 90 shakers. similarly other institutions Io also plays an important role or not as such you study NETIIO the from there you have to write prime minister's office is a very important office cabinet secretary, how does cabinet secretary plays a very important role? by furnishing data, information by furnishing advice to the cabinet And at the same time,
0: specialized
1: independent institutions. Like let's say, specialized institutions in pollution, specialized institutions in, let's say, traffic or road management. See, so they, they, they play an important role because, see, the valuable data and information to the cabinet. To the institutions of policy making is witnessed by which institutions? These institutions. And these institutions also represent their ideas in various parliamentary committees or before the the, the, the cabinet committees. So they play also an important role by virtue of their expertise. So this is official. What are the unofficial actors? There are also many unofficial actors. What are the unofficial actors? Unofficial actors would be political parties NGOs, voluntary organizations, pressure group, interest group, public media Transform society like your organizations. So, how do political parties play an important role in policy making? Their <laughs> agenda. you take in the political parties in modern democracy political parties as the medium for the the government the and administration. This is to take political parties. What is political parties? Group of political parties basically refers to a group of people who strive to capture power through the electoral process. And after capturing the power, that the governmental power is trying to attain the set goals. So there are, in modern democracy there are multiple political parties and political parties they vie with each other having their own ideas relating to the problems of the society and the solutions for that. And once occupying power let's say the political party that occupies the power that is the government that is formed the government is nothing but the core group of a political party or a group of political parties. So the political parties set agenda. They guide. They put demands. They scrutinise. Defend. Through this, they play a very important role in policy making. But see, not necessarily only the party that is in power plays the role in policy making. The political parties, those are in opposition, also play an important role in policy How political parties, those are in opposition, plays an important role in policy-making? Through criticism. Through the highlight of failure, highlighting the failures,
0: mistakes. Or by putting competing demands.
1: So through this, the opposition political parties, also play an important role in policy making because in the legislature they take part in debates and discussion. In committees they are also the members in the committees who are set up to scrutinize proposals for public policy they are also the members should highlight in this. See, such system where the political parties are decentralized, their role in influencing public policy is much higher. As compared to political parties, those are highly centralized. Like say in India, the political parties are highly centralized. So if they are highly centralized, their ability to influence public policy is comparatively, yes. So political party as an institution outside the government and thereby their ability to influence the government in policy making is higher in case of political parties those are decentralized. It's lower in case where the political parties are. centralized. So let's say if you take into account countries like Canada United States. Or for that matter, even most of the European countries where the political parties are decentralized. The political parties, whether they are in power or in opposition, their ability to influence the government and the legislature in formulation of public policy is higher. So here we are talking about political party as a what? Independent entity outside the government outside the legislature. Political party as entity, political party as structure. So the role of political parties in influencing putting demand. Let's say, in the current government, the BJP is in power. But BJP as a political party is separate from the council of ministers headed by the Prime Minister Narendra Modi. So the BJP as a political party, and the ability an to influence the government led by Narendra Modi to form a public policy is comparatively less weak, as compared to, let's say, the Republican political party, maybe in the United States. Why? This one aspect to refer that the political parties they influence public policy by being in government, by forming government, winning election, by being in opposition, by taking part in legislature, by highlighting mistakes by the opposition, etc., etc., etc. But at the same time, one other aspect we do also highlight. That's say the political party's role that varies from system to system. From countries to countries. In those systems, whether presidential or parliamentary, the political parties are are decentralized. They are political, the government, and the legislature, in policy population is much higher as compared to the political parties those that is centralized. So BJP as a party, Independently, can you actually imagine putting demand and saying, policy and the government mobilizing? No. But to say, if you, if you take into account the American politics, if you follow Canadian politics, you will find these type of things are very frequent. That the government is actually simply, many a time, persuaded to follow the priorities of what? the party, the political party. So that is what we are referring that the the role of political parties in policy formulation is comparatively stronger in those systems where the political parties are structurally decentralised. And their role is weak in those systems where they are structurally centralized. Similarly, NGOs, or civil society organization, see role of civil society policy making already we have studied. Policy inclusion, policy reform, policy implementation and all this. We have referred to <coughs> so, NGOs, voluntary organizations, civil society, all the same. And uh, similarly, the pressure group, interest group. Public media. What is the role of public media in policy making? Okay, let me give you a brief also this aspect. You hear? See, if you take into account public media, we refer public media as mass media. What do you think? Why do you think mass media? It, uh, it reaches to the remote community. That's Maximum public outreach. It is referred to as mass media. Media is media. Mass is bulk. It's It's a such type of system which can communicate to a large number of people at a time. That's why it is referred to as mass media. They said, I don't know what हो so, these certain things what we say public media is also referred to as mass media. So, whatever the types of mass media you know, <laughs> mass media, if <laughs> media, mask media, to a <laughs> <laughs> Kick the mask media. So we got up. Okay, we use print media. Okay. Then digital uh, media. Video. Radio. Can we say uh, maybe now things are changing, that I will also refer. But can we say radio is truly has been a mass media? The most, you we can say, in a competitive spirit, the radio has been the truly mass media. Can you say so? No. Now things are slightly changing. But see, the radio has been considered as truly the mass media for a number of in One, if you take it out a print, newspaper, see, newspaper will be accessible to who? <laughs> Do you think it will be accessible to people who are actually not literate? You need to be literate. Literate to go to a village. And at the same time, newspaper call if you go to a village. In entire village you will find two people or three family will be taking newspaper and will be very sabatshahin. newspaper. So generally people are wealthy and all they take newspaper. And if you take it about television, till now It is also not only mass media, because for television you need One, money Second, electricity But if you take it account radio You know, no, no, no need of any Education, you graduation, you minimum graduation Uske paath, radio kiri apply person, you know You have radio, you can no education is required Very now we very less amount of money is available so you can find a chalarava somewhere. And it is accessible in the remotest part of the country. So till now radio has been good in the mass media. Apart from this number, of other media has been there, visual media. And now you have your what do you say? Very unsocial media. <laughs> The social media is truly unsocial media. (laughs) So, the internet and all this, normal medium is there. Now, if you take into account the public media in Indian context, the post-independence era could be referred to as a political era. Now, why would it be referred to as a political era? Because, see, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the independence, The people who are engaged in public media, the editors, journalists, they considered their job something similar to the job of politicians. That is, that of nation-building, because it was a new nation, and uh, uh, the the, the journalists and the the, the people in this mass media, especially the print media, uh, they considered themselves as an active participant in the building of this new nation. That is why if you take into account of, uh, the, the public media, the, during that period it used to deal with the various major issues grappling with society, economy and politics. It used to be a rich what you say uh, discourse in the, uh, in, in the public media. But see, gradually changed in the early 70s. The 70s would be known for uh, something wrong in Indian politics. Basically the emergency. During that emergency period there was uh, the press censorship, media censorship and all this things. But see, there was one newspaper that did turn out to be somewhat a rebel your Indian Express. But being a rebel, it increased the circulation more. The moment the circulation became more, basically till now, the newspaper and basically the one who was focusing on defining the public opinion and influencing the government policy, they were dependent on selling of the newspaper. So per newspaper selling and whatever advertisement, the government advertisement, that was the revenue. But see, increasing the circulation, in fact, they increased the revenue base of this particular newspaper through advertisement. So they found a new way of sustaining their business and taking up issues. But see, another important development during the late 1970s was that see, this type of news magazine, you know, what you have today, it was not, not there prior to that. So, a news magazine, if I remember properly day-to-day, came out and uh, along with this, the newspapers also priced them, significantly reduced their price and all of them focused towards increasing circulation, because more the circulation, more the advertisement money and they can sustain. So, that started something what call circulation data in public media. But see, whether in the political phase or in the circulation phase, the public media was influencing public policy because they were engaged in which issues? Various social issues, economic issues, political issues, they used to interest people, they used to take up issues that is concerning people. But see, that means they were dealing with various issues of immense social and economic political significance. That is why their ability to influence the public policy was comparatively high. But if you take into account the late 80s and 90s onwards, liberalization and all this, consumerism and all this, and something called Generation X, through this to generation generation X now if you take into account this generation X the generation X belonging to a particular class that is the middle class and the upper class especially the middle middle upper middle and the upper class see these are the category which is which increased in India, this category during this period increased in size, volume became very high. It's not that poverty reduced. We'll that sort of wealth generation, huge wealth generation, PPP in the purchasing parity, you we know, uh, have this economy, this, you know, all this thing. But see, this wealth that was generated, in fact, uh, was accumulated by a group of people who, who are middle class, especially the Middle, middle, upper, middle, and the upper class. But this this particular category became very sizable, and this was good enough to, in fact, make the public career business wise viable. So, during this pe- period, the public career became more and more outside public. Ossai public means no more it remained only at a public institution, it also became a business institution. So, it was having he talks of, let's say, because it is considered to be the fourth pillar. So even if it is considered as the fourth pillar, that means the public spirit. It has to guard the it has to guard the it has to also guard judiciary, it has to guard the entire system, it has to be very much fair, it has to be neutral, it has to highlight issues, it has to also play a very critical role in the nation building and also development. But, now it has also become a business organization because it has become a viable institution for earning profit. Now in order to earn profit, what is the medium? To have advertisement. But see, advertisement is to be directed towards who? A particular kind of consumer. So who are the consumer? The one who is actually upper middle. middle, middle the, the upper class. Now, that means, this newspaper has to highlight which issues? No more they have to highlight issues of immense socio-economic and political significance. They have to only focus on issues of intense interest to what we can otherwise say Generation X. So this resulted into what?
0: This resulted into what we say,
1: trivialization of issues by public media. So, in public media, you will find farmer suicide, unemployment, or let etc., etc., etc. There is no space, no in debate, only in the passing references might be there. But what is with what is issues and information is bombarded. That is what is going back to actually hold the attention of this Generation X. That means, another thing, the Generation X is very. They 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 take interest in one thing or they have a very few interest. Changes say any issues they are okay, of paper. So that means the newspaper, or for matter, all the public media, your visual media because of the penetration, the the, the, the digital penetration or the, the, the cable TV penetration, the visual media and the social media became very immensely powerful during this period, but all this media. Now focus on who this generation is. And at the same time they have to hold their attention. In order to hold their attention, they have to enter into something called infotainment. But see, as a famous journalist has stated, infotainment is not an evil to pocket media. If you use entertainment to inform, it is an evil. if In the name of information, you entertain.
0: So basically, he is trying to say, simply to make you uh, understand
1: what this journalist is trying to say. Famous journalist, I am in the name. Let me clarify his ideas. Do did he use Do you Some. In Kitelo something?
0: Right? I
1: mean, I'm very So true. And if you
0: compare daily news with, let's
1: say, India TV, Times Now, Hindu Muslims, that is. Kitelo, What you say? I don't I I don't switch on the movie channel. I switch on one of these channels. <laughs> <laughs> immensely interesting. Oh, immensely interesting and interesting. <laughs> now, if you compare the news and these in India TV, which is more enriching? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Dhoondarsan is very enriching. No doubt, it is enriching. But see believe about others, you are not also watching. Only those people will be watching with free to air and the us they do not have any cable connection and only few things are coming, so they are forced to watch. Only those people are watching, not, none other is watching. Now, see, you are providing such rich news and people are not watching. Is it worth providing? No. That is what that journalist is saying. You see, you if you remember, uh, maybe you, you may not be knowing because we belong to a very different generation. Your parents, if you go and ask the parents, to find uh, back at village or even small town, we used to have regularly something called those folk uh, dance, folk uh, natak, you know, natak. Now all of these things used to be there, and see, traditionally, this used to be the medium of transferring some information, whether social valuable information. Some of the information of current relevance, and people used to watch that with rapid attention. And now the political parties are taking help of this because they want to communicate something. They are writing some, uh, what to say, uh, this, uh, the people engaged in this and conducting this. Why? Because so if you simply go on and give a lecture, people will not hear. Through this, they will be hearing it, realizing it, internalizing it, and maybe understanding it. So that means, all very valuable information you will find. The government or otherwise, people are hiring hiding celebrities and all. Why? Because you need to hold the attention. You need to make people take interest in listening. So that is why using entertainment, source to inform, is nothing wrong. It is an art. It is an art. But see, what actually has happened, as we are referring in the contemporary phase, in the contemporary phase, whether it is print media, whether it is actually visual media, or the social media, more particularly visual and social media, they have taken to something called infotainment, where the primary motive is to entertain in the name of information. So this has resulted into what? This has resulted into weakening of the public media and their ability to influence public policy. Why? Because these issues are lost. The realization of issues, the various facts and figures of issues are been upset. So you don't have facts, you don't have
0: basic arguments, you don't have the 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 major issues that have been uh, taken into consideration. So as a result of which, the ability of the public media, its influence over the what to say uh, the policymakers, whether
1: legislative or executive, it has gone gone down. Apart from this, the problem of what to say. Media. What is that pack media? We are referring. You see, if you take it into account online, you know, social, or visual, now it is, a, it is a business, it is a type of activity that has to be conducted 24 hours. And you have to continuously hold your attention in order to remain business wise viable. So that is why you have to show new things, different things. So that is why. Something if you remember that movie called Pippi Live. Did you know? So that, is that, that, that particular movie is explaining the weakening role of public media in influencing public policy. The idea of pack media, always ready to actually go after certain news, anything and everything, that can hold the attention of people without much research. So the information delivery has become superfluous.
0: Information delivery many a time is inauthentic.
1: So moment is inauthentic. It's superfluous, trivial. It's ability to influence the public policies. Weak. Not only this, similarly, other issues have also cropped up, cropped up in the contemporary era. So that is, if you take into account the issues like, like many a time about the issue of fake news or issue of sadow news or issue of shadow journalism Hello journalism You know what is shadow journalism? Basically you are advocating certain political parties or certain group but in the name of what? If you stand. So now the problem of shadow journalism Elo journalism, this is increasing. Why? Because the ownership pattern has actually concentrated and there is lack of autonomy with the editors. Yellow means anything wrong. Yellow journalism. Sado means, Cyanobism. see, I am actually, see, there is no connection with the political party. I am not a member. I am not on a payroll. I will station myself as a journalist. I am an editor. And I will keep shouting, everyone wants to know. And what I am getting, <laughs> I nah, will be advocating, let's say, somebody's, some political party. I am That is sad. Hello, means anything. Because uh, we see, there has a sitting operation, and we found out that many journalists are involved in blackmailing, corruption or certain type of malpractices, that's illustrative. <laughs> now along with this you can add also what you say the low attention spam. Low attention spam means are they said use the handgate, they say what's up. So all this has reduced the ability of the the, the, the public media influencing the public policy. Okay. Uh, you know, similarly your uh, you know, other institutions like the national and international civil society organizations, all these are uh, which actors in policy making unofficial. So the entire actors will be divided into two official and unofficial. Okay? But on this all of you have to work a bit that these are certain the topics otherwise you will be going through on a repeated basis, on a regular basis. But separately you prepare for yourself. Okay? So that examine ready might come Now let me give you uh, an overall outline related to policy implementation. policies. That means uh, what all needs to be considered if there are implementational failures why there is implementation of failure why policy implementations fail and at the same time we will also try to understand the mechanism of implementation along with the actors involved in policy implementation. So first of all, let us take into account what are the basis for successful policy implementation The public policy, its objectives and methods
0: should be clear.
1: (coughs) Like, let's say, if you say public policy that formulated that is AB. We have to eliminate poverty in general. See, critic poverty is very general. Or that is aiming towards, let's say, we'll secure this territory. It's very general. It's very vague. So unless the goal within the public policy is clear, that's the clarity of the goal, the clarity of the processes are there. Making that policy implemented successfully is going to be difficult. <clears throat> because only when the policy goals are clear, the, the processes, the, the the strategies, the materials are clear, it will become easy to chart out the implementation of process. So the first thing that is important as far as the success of the implementation is concerned, the goals. The policy aim and objective, the methods and processes should be clear. That should be clarity in the policy objectives, aim, or the goal. The second is see the policy goals, aims, and objectives should be feasible. Practical or realistic, it should not be very idealistic
0: or even
1: What is this? See, it has to be clear. It should not be vague. You refer that, okay? Uh, they, they, we have to. now when this policy is initiated by this time the poverty will be eliminated so very big. but let's say you made it very clear that these are the people for these people in order to fight let's say poverty this is what is to be done that the objectives are what very clear but only by making it clear it may not succeed if the objectives are clear but it is very utopian very idealistic. It is not realistic, it is not practicable. Then, the implementation is going to suffer or not. The second important ingredient for the successful implementation is the policy goals or aim or objectives should be feasible. The realistic, it should not be utopian. The third is, Methods to achieve this goal and the resources
0: are properly laid out.
1: That means a detailed plan in advance is laid out related to implementation. So what is the goal? What are the objectives? What are the methods? What are the resources required? How to implement it? Which are the manpower? What type of skill will be required? What type of implementational tools and techniques will be employed? How this is to be taken up? When this is to be taken up? So a detailed plan, relating to the implementation, prior to the actual implementation has to be put in place. You know, it has to be, uh, can be laid out. The four things. the availability of adequate and properly trained manpower. In the same, you write another statement. The manpower
0: Engaged in the implementation should have
1: value commitments towards the policy. So what does this mean? That means, as far as this policy is concerned, let's say it's an ambitious policy. But say as far as that policy is concerned, you need to implement, implement, implement through a manpower, and the manpower is inadequate. Manpower is not adequately trained. And more than that, the manpower does not have the right type of commitment towards that policy. If goals, its objectives, then all life needs to be properly implemented. Next Proper policy monitoring. Next. Monitoring basically means while it is being implemented, closely observing and if not there will be any wrong, or failure, immediately reporting for rectification. The next is. Incentives and disincentives.
0: The incentives and disincentives.
1: So that means for successful uh, initiative that should be uh, rewards and uh, for failure that should be punishment. So incentive and disincentive system are for the requirement of the, the policy. So that should be in advance a proper you know, a, a, a proper outline should be put in place with regard to the incentives and the disincentives. These are some of the ingredients that is required for remember you know, to say, successful policy implementation. Apart from this, few general aspects that is Multiple Stakeholders' Initiatives as and when required including people's participation. Multiple Stakeholders' Initiatives as and when required including people's participation. What does this mean? <coughs> hmm? What does this mean? <coughs> that means, as far well as the implementation is concerned, the very approach should, be, should not be restricted to the bureaucracy. A monopolistic state approach in implementation. multiple stakeholders that means implementation should be carried out with the help of let's or voluntary organization or there is a private sector or you know, private profit sector or neighborhood associations or even if it is required the direct participation of the people so the, these are some of the, the requirements for the successful implementation of public policies but see as far as the public policies is concerned implementation of public policies is concerned See I again. Mean, uh, in the context of the government, it is complex. It varies in terms of time, that means the manner in which the implementation was taken up by the government. Let us say during fifties. Not necessarily the same way it is taken up during eighties. Or not necessarily the same way it is being taken out now. So, the implementation of public policies in the context of the government varies from time to time. You know, maybe from one time frame to that of the another time frame. Not only varies from one time to the other time, it also varies from one policy to the other, and it varies from one system to that of the The manner in which it is taken out is a mystery of home. Might be different in the Ministry of Finance, might be different in the Ministry of Home Affairs, or different in the context of Indian administration to that of, let's say, Chinese administration. But, recently, a theorist named Ricard Elmo, E L M O R, Ricard Elmo,
0: while adapting you
1: know why I adopted it? Additions model he developed a model that is Elmore's
0: model to explain
1: the public policy implementation So his model has been very much influenced by which other model
0: Additions model. And similarly, it
1: be that public policy implementation cannot be explained through a single model or cannot be understood through a single approach. It can be explained with the help of a combination of approaches or combination of models. <clears throat> Divided into four. Like in the case of addition, model has been divided into three sub models. So, the most model has been divided into four sub models. Those being System Management Model
0: Bureaucratic Model Organizational Development Model I
1: So, elaborate systematic initiatives are taken. Every rational exercise is undertaken. So, a detailed plan is charted out how to implement, what resources are required, what type of methods to be employed. So, that is what we have got here as a system management model. This is which component? Rational. The bureaucratic model, in fact, explains that the policy will be implemented by various agencies is influenced by the work culture, its standard operating procedure, its priorities. So even if you have a planning place, a detailed planning is done, how to implement, how to go about it, but when the agencies are implementing, the implementation process is going to be affected by those agencies, their work culture, their standard operating procedure, their preferences. But at the same time, it is also going to be influenced by what is explained by the organisational development model, that is See, in that particular process There are also a number of entities, whether official or unofficial So not only, let me repeat this, a rational exercise is going to be there, a rational calculation, consideration is going to be there, but at the same time, the various agencies and institutions are also going to influence their processes, their procedure, their uh, laws, their regulation, their world culture, their standard operating procedure, all this is going to influence. Apart from this, various influential entities Those are going to influence the functioning of various agencies and institutions. They are also going to have important say in the implementation. But ultimately, as the fourth model says, that the implementation process will also involve bargaining,
0: negotiation, adjustments, compromise,
1: The institutional influences, individual uh, what is the impact, and a complex network of bargaining, adjustment, dialogue that also goes to it. So it is the implementation of the byproduct of all this combination. So that is why similar, similar to the tradition, Elmar also says that policy implementation involves rational incremental behavior as well as political factors. Yes, similar to that of the addition Elmore also says that policy implementation involves rational incremental behavior and political factors. The same, because the, the same model that has been adopted to explain the implementation. So if we have to say that why policy implementation fails <laughs> Why there implementation implementation failure? <clears throat> so what possible reasons we can put forward? The goals might be vague. The policy itself might be very vague, unclear. So many times because it is vague and unclear, planning suffers. Implementation thereby suffers. Or it might be too idealistic and utopian. So, moment it is idealistic and utopian, it is unachievable, it suffers. Or it is implemented without adequate preparation, adequate planning, or there is resource deficiencies. Or many times, where well, there is a need for a multi stakeholder approach, there is a monopolistic approach, monocratic implementation. Or at the same time, they can simply say that corruption, malpractices, all this would be the reason for policy failures or implementation of failures. This aspect you can write. You have to take up you know, this from the essential. From there you can take up what is the reason for the possible failures. All of you understood this aspect? <laughs> right, any question? Write <coughs> down the question. policy implementation
0: is not monocratic comma or its success lies in the prudently Multicratic comment.
1: What is this statement? What is this question? Hmm? What is this question? Hmm. Okay, somewhat near to that, but what is this uh, multi-clatic, prudently multi cratic and uh, monocratic? Mm-hmm. So, monocratic means uh, there is not a single agency or actor which is exercising total control over house We are talking about mono model. We are talking about monocratic. So, this statement is saying the, the, the success lies in being prudently monocratic. Monocratic means wherever required, multiple actors, combination, networking approach. Be clear. The moment you see the question, this likely. I can if you multiple models you, so you don't get dragged towards that prudently multi-platic what is prudently multi No. Okay. only those who have the skill, ability and willingness they should be more not all so that's prudently multi can I answer the question? any question? Uh, if a policy is formulated with a particular implementing agency in mind, so isn't the rational component of implementation already taken care of at the formulation stage? Yes. Rational component means <coughs> it includes most of this. Any calculation that is taken out logically. That is rational component. If let's say <coughs> the cabinet while formulating a law has sent to a committee, and committee is calculating what is this law, what is that it aims at, and if it is aiming at that, who is going to implement, whether that implementation of power capacity is there or not. So all these are which calculation? Logical calculation, this is a rational Rational component. So anything that involves that logical aspect is a rational component, but whether the implementational aspect has been taken care of or not, that might vary from one uh, policy proposal to the other. So here simply we are saying any logical calculation, that is a rational component. Okay. So, tomorrow we will be taking up the rest of the policy implementation, monitoring, policy evaluation, and then one topic in that that is, a that is the state theories and public policies. You know, these are the things we will consider to Thank you.
0: No, i देखा take मैं later. No, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>